This is Mission Disco, the conversation about imagination, innovation, and Christian mission in Ireland and beyond. I am Simon Kilpatrick. And I am Brian Sanders. And we are your DJs for this conversation. So uh, one concept, I suppose, we've been thinking about or has come to kind of our attention or my attention has been that of chaplaincy and what chaplaincy looks like. I think in Ireland today, the role of the professional church leader or minister or rector has, uh, is changing. And I think there's this opportunity as people in Ireland to embrace this kind of role of chaplain. Um, I know schools and colleges have chaplains, but actually thinking about chaplaincy in other places. And there's a guy I met recently, he's part of the Methodist Church, Andrew Irvine, who's set up this city centre chaplaincy in Belfast. And part of his uh, role is to connect with people and be um, not only himself, but also train others to be in existence in Belfast City, in the shops, on the streets, all over the place. But seeing themselves as chaplains, as people of God uh, with a role in that city. So recently, uh, Brian chatted to him about uh, what chaplaincy looks like for him. So let's just talk about, I mean, I guess just conceptually uh, lay out for me the, the chaplaincy. Well, actually, before that, let's talk about how, do you, how did you come to this idea, you know? Um, other people have always brought me the ideas, so um, <laughs> I'm not... <laughs> That's your genius, I'm, huh? I'm sort of hoping, Steal like an I'm artist. I'm sort of hoping God sent them. <laughs> So, yeah, I'm a bit of an idea thief. Um, so when I was in, previous to the chaplaincy, the big thing was street pastors. And uh, in that case, two people completely unconnected, both phoned me about the same initiative on the same day. One was a member of the church um, who was aware of street pastors in England. And the other was, and he had phoned me in the morning, a guy called Joe Turner, and we agreed to meet in the local shopping centre for coffee, and he was going to tell me all about street pastors. And then after lunch, I got a phone call from the chief inspector of police for Belfast City Centre. And, I mean, we would have worked very closely together on a lot mm. of projects. And uh, he said, Andrew, have you ever heard of street pastors? And I'm going like, OK, Lord, two people, I, don't I know each you. other, yeah. same day, you're up to something. So... Um, Anyway, the, that chief inspector and a couple of other police officers, including a guy who was the um, chairman of the Christian Police Officers Association, which was a like a group of four police officers who were Christians inside the PSNI. Mm. And we all went to London and went out with street pastors and came back and got some other churches that were interested. In, and so the chaplaincy was a bit of a similar thing. Um, I had been with some fellow city centre managers because we were all part of like a, a group that met regularly who managed the key regional cities in the UK. So Edinburgh, Glasgow, Manchester, Liverpool, Luton, you know, we, we all got together once a quarter and took turns to host. And it was in Luton when I first came across city centre chaplaincy. And, and uh, intriguingly for me, it was actually being run by a Belfast guy who had moved to Luton. <laughs> Uh, and, yeah, completely. And he was full time at it. So uh, he, he he called himself the lead chaplain and he had 27 other 
chaplains around him and the 27 other chaplains were simply members of the local church who had done some training in terms of what chaplaincy looks like, journeying with people, coming alongside them and they were getting out into Luton and just seeing who God introduced them to. And I came back and tried to set it up in Belfast and it didn't, it didn't work. The first iteration, it didn't work. The first happen. iteration yeah. didn't work. And the chairman of the city centre management company, because the way city centre management worked was it was a partnership between the council, uh, a local government department and Stormont that looked after town centre regeneration and the Chamber of Trade and Commerce, which was the umbrella group for businesses. Okay. And they funded this public-private partnership, which was called the city centre management company, and I worked for it. Okay. Um, so the chairman of it was paid uh, to do so many uh, days a year uh, wise wise old character uh, from a Catholic background but completely non-practicing who came to me and, and, and with some wisdom said you can't do this as a city centre manager you can't be the city centre manager and the city centre chaplain no. I didn't want to work Andrew but yet I knew absolutely in my heart of hearts at that point as he spoke to me that he was right but also that this vision was definitely from God and we had to do this. Um, so I discussed it with some folks in church and went home and discussed it with my wife and I said, look, God's got to make a way for this so I'm going to candidate for Methodist ministry which potentially means leaving the city centre management company. And that looked like leaving a pretty successful job for what? downward mobility yeah and and praise god for my wife and i have thanked him um, and uh, over the years for her on a number of occasions also asked a few questions about her occasions but thanked him often for her she agreed to this so i i candidated and i said to the lord because our system of candidating means that at key times there is a vote taken on you at it's different terrifying. levels of the church, yeah. And my deal with God was, if one person votes, no, I'm not doing this. Actually, that's my test in this, Lord. If one person says no, then, you know, you don't want this. So they all voted yes, and I ended up in college. So the church kept then saying to me, you know, we can't guarantee you this chaplaincy that's on your heart, Andrew. If you become a Methodist minister, you accept the discipline of the Methodist church. And if we send you somewhere, that's where you go. And I said, I'm okay with that because I do absolutely firmly and deadly and truly believe in my heart of hearts, God's calling me to this. And I believe at the end of this process, that's what you will send me to do. Mm. So in the middle of all of that, I was sitting on the board of East Belfast Mission as a director, a non-executive director of East Belfast Mission, which is one of our five large inner city missions. Mm. It's in all sorts of financial baller. Things are not going well. And... At this, the superintendent minister of the mission chairs the board and it was uh, a lady at the time, Margaret Ferguson, and the chief executive resigned at this meeting and she said to me on the way down the stairs, Andrew, I think you should apply for that job. And I said, wow, whoa, this wasn't on the radar. But actually God's solution in all of this was that I would be part-time in ministry, running, the, developing this chaplaincy, and part-time paid as the chief executive of the mission to actually start to sort out, not from a non-executive position, but actually from the chief executive's position, sort out the problems within that mission. And that's what, I mean, you couldn't have, you couldn't have written that. Beautiful. 
you just couldn't have written that stuff. So, so okay. So the the original idea, which has now come to life again, now, um, just conceptually walk me through it. Like, why is why do you think this is a good idea, or maybe a an innovation to some degree? It feels that way to me. It feels like um, something tactically or um, I don't know strategically is happening with your choice to use the term chaplain, how you're applying it, who you can give it to. It's empowerment. I actually think it's not a new idea at all. I think it's an next chapter six idea. Okay, fair enough. I, I actually yeah. really do believe that. And I think chaplaincy is one of our oldest models of mission. And actually, for some reason, actually, while it's one of our oldest models of mission, it's actually one of the most relevant models of mission for the 21st. So just describe it then. Uh, it's about, let's get away from a paid person wearing a bit of plastic around their neck at the front and say, that's not what calling's about. Calling is about everybody who believes and declares that Jesus Christ is Lord and therefore nobody else is Lord, goes out into the community and lives that. Everybody. Now, within that, there are, what I read in Acts chapter 6 is there are some particular callings and the disciples said, we're going to reserve ourselves back to look at the scriptures and to think and to teach. But here's seven folks that we're going to lay our hands on, actually, and different denominations will have different language around it, but let's call them deacons. And we're going to send those seven into the community and they're going to look after people. That's what the church needs to do. But actually, it's not the teaching leaders who, who were sent, for the want of better language, it was members of the congregation that were sent. So I'm passionate about getting the whole body of believers involved in active ministry. So either become a chaplain or something like that, or a street pastor, or, or support one of those ministries. Find out if it's not for you to be on the front line of it. Can you be a prayer warrior for it? Can you be the treasurer of it? Can you be the secretary of it? Find some way to support it, but get involved and putting members of the church front line in the community because that's for me the oldest idea of church yeah and they, they'd already be there right so the idea i think part of what i, I hear in your ideas that people are already positioned in key places and when you ordain them for lack of a better word as chaplains i don't know all of a sudden you you energize that space to be a church space or a mission space or something like that. Wouldn't it be great if we got the barrister to come and put his wig on the communion table? Or we got the accountant to come and put his calculator on the communion table? And we offered that and that person's life and that person's profession to God and said, as a church, we're going to send you back in there mm. as a missionary. Yeah. And it's So some of the ideas that the chaplains here are working through, one of them is... Um, and there's something slightly insidious about this, which I love. It's a countercultural bit of this, right? Um, we want to identify Christians in workplaces and say, okay, get all your brothers and sisters in that organization together and come to us once a month and let's think through how you are, the, uh, to use the language of the London Institute for Contemporary Christianity, how are you scattered church from Monday to Friday in your workplace? Because you're still the church, albeit from your own congregation's paradigm, you've been scattered out for the week. 
with our first one up and running, it's with Belfast City Council. So I contacted the uh, a Christian, former Christian, well, she's still a Christian, but she's a former colleague of mine, um, in there and said, look, can you send an email around all everybody you know in Belfast City Council uh, staff who who's a Christian and invite them to a meeting? Um, and a number of people came. We're now up to 16 and they're meeting monthly. And what we do every month is we have a Bible study around what does faith in the workplace look like? How can we actually help each other, particularly in a public sector environment where it's frowned upon to talk about God? Yeah. How can we help you to be a missionary in your work? Um, we're only going from June. We've only that one up and running. But that I actually see as a model. Let's identify Christians in workplaces, get them together. And you have a couple of things percolating, a couple of things you're dreaming of right now with shopping centers. And tell me about that. We're, we do want to be available to the business community and that in the widest sense. So it's not just the business leaders, it's, it's the workers and those who are literally on the shop floor. We want to have a ministry of availability to them. Uh, so the desire is to be free to walk in and out of businesses uh, in and out of shops just on a regular basis and check in with people and say you know hi Brian how's your week going and it's not odd because it's that's my role that's that's I'm, my role. I'm the chaplain of the mall oh. yeah. yeah and I've got my little jacket on says chaplain and everybody knows I'm coming now this is not new they've been doing this in Luton now for seven years uh, the major bus company in Luton Stagecoach have accepted I think seven chaplains mm-hmm. in and they sit in the stagecoach uh, staff canteen. So when the bus drivers come back in and lock their bus up and go in to get their cup of coffee, they know there'll be a chaplain sitting about the, the, the canteen area. So this is up and running. It's a bit unusual in Northern Ireland still. Nobody's seen it here yet. I think we have an extra difficulty here of religion has been something that has caused conflict in the past and disagreement. And therefore, there can be questions around that. And what type of Christian are you? Have you got an agenda? Are you going to promote one faith over another faith? So it's really important for us at this early stage to communicate. We are interdenominational. We're not coming in to preach. We're coming in to walk alongside. It's a pastoral ministry. Now, if your employee asks us about faith or they raise a subject about faith, we're absolutely going to talk about that. It's, it's, it just seems like a, maybe a more friendlier word. The idea of chaplaincy is maybe easier to swallow um, than if you said, well, we'd like to place a missionary in your mall or your courtroom or something like that, or, or even a priest or something. It seems like that's not. Yeah. What is it about that? I mean, it seems like there's something important in the language here. I think people are used to chaplains in other walks of life. Okay. So. Most people have either, if they haven't stayed in a hospital, if they've been fortunate enough to never have to do that, they've certainly visited people in a hospital and they would be aware that there are chaplains in hospitals. I think most people from general knowledge would be aware that in, say, the military, there are chaplains. Most people would be aware from knowledge that if you go into prison, God forbid, there would be a chaplain. So I think there's a level of awareness, even from people who have no connection with church, that a chaplain is some somebody who is helpful, yeah. who is supportive. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yet, and yet, it's definitely, you know, full of religious meaning. It's not. You're also not hiding. You know, it, it it just strikes me as 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 
uh, I don't know, um, ingenious because at one level I think, okay, I'm a lawyer. How do I be a, how can I be a Christian in my law firm versus saying, well, I'm the chaplain of my law firm. So it's, everybody knows who I am. I'm not, I'm not trying to convert everyone necessarily, but I'm, I'm here for you. I exist in this environment. I have a role in this environment, which makes sense of my Christianity. It makes sense of my faith. I mean, is that part of what you think the value is here? Like giving, giving a stronger word to the Christian in their place of work or something like that? I suppose I'm differentiating between the chaplain who's not directly employed by the place where he's working yeah. or she is working, but they're calling in and out. Uh, that's one thing. A separate thing is to help Christians to be a witness yeah. in the place where they actually are employed. But then, in that case, they're not the chaplain. The chaplain's just helping them yeah, to actually think through mm-hmm. how they do that. So if the lawyer, uh, if we're helping the lawyer to think through how they're a chaplain in their law firm, if they then volunteer as a chaplain, we're not going to send them back into that to their law own. firm, to uh, their okay. own. Okay. We might ask them to, you know, Interesting. go somewhere. Uh, because I don't, I'd rather like I couldn't be the city centre manager and the city centre chaplain. I don't think asking somebody to actually put the chaplain chaplain's jacket on in their own firm. That might be tricky. That's tricky. <laughs> yeah. But the chaplain can help the lawyer think through how they do be a witness. So tell me how you're discerning uh, kind of places of greatest need maybe? Or like what, if, if I gave you 20 chaplains tomorrow, would you know where to put them? And how, how do you... Yeah, well, I suppose there's two things. Firstly, I love the whole thing. That's a very Wesleyan thought, can I say? I mean, Wesley always said, go go to those who need it most. Mm. was an expression of his. As soon as you hit the street, you can see those who are in dire physical need. And one of the groups that is really, you know, presents very obviously are those who are homeless. Um, so there is a clear, there is a clear ministry there. And we have been involved in that from week one. And what that looks like actually is I, you know, and the other chaplains become their dad or their mum or the bigger brother or bigger sister that they don't have. Because actually in many of the cases, those, you know, these folks have fallen through the net because they didn't have support around them that most of us have. Um, so like I've made a right mess in my life at times, but there was somebody to catch me. And in their cases, that's not happened. Um, so we simply become mum, dad, brother, sister and start advocating for them. So we will get in with the housing executive who handle social housing in Northern Ireland and argue on their behalf. I was doing that last week for a 74-year-old man on a row later, homeless on our streets. And, you know, the, the, the housing executive wanted him to report each day for an emergency bed. And <clears throat> we were saying, no way. He's 74 years old and he's on a roll later. He physically can't get to you every day. You need to do better than that. Mm. Being the big son for that 74-year-old, the big son he didn't have. Um, And then doing the same with other welfare stuff. Um, So trying to sort out the practical. And in the practical, actually just spending time with them and getting to know their story. And sharing a little bit of our story too. and the questions come, why do you do this for me? Especially when the newer chaplains are all volunteers, they will ask, why? Faced with grace, people start to question why this is happening. And so faith conversations take place too. Um, 
so that's one thing of discernment and obvious need. The second thing of discernment is actually what door opens and what door doesn't open. Mm. So we are trying to get into the shopping centres. We are trying to place chaplains in court waiting rooms where you know, people are waiting to give evidence and they're worried because they're going to have to face an assailant or um, it's a custody battle or it's a divorce hearing and it's extremely stressful. Only well, we one chaplain's there and the discernment is, does the door open or does the door not open? Yeah. It, it strikes me as a beautiful kind of mixture of the pastoral gift and the pastoral uh, grace, which has been sort of protected or reserved within the confines of the church being released in the frontier mission to actually drop that gift into a missionary context. People who don't have faith, who are in some cases very desperate or hurting or whatever. But it's really almost like the, the evangelization or the supercharging of the pastoral gift in a missionary context. You know, I, I, I say that because you know I I can I can be from time to time critical of the kind of pastoral we just sort of look after ourselves and mm-hmm. we there's this hurting world out there that needs the kingdom actually more than believers do because we're we're sorted eternally or whatever um, and this is a way of like I don't know capturing that pastoral gift for mission uh, do you see that I mean do you see like the people that are saying yes or will say yes to this kind of chaplaincy call they see themselves as missionaries and they see themselves as pastors is it a kind of marriage of those two things they see themselves very much as missionaries and with you know i've thought this through and in the training that i do with the chaplains i get them to think it through um so there has been this whole thread of theological debate within the, the wider church around evangelism versus social need ministry mm. um and I think in many times that is settled out like evangelism comes first when people, you know, get saved. Um, the fruit of that is social action. Actually, um, and I agree with him, Leslie Newbegin, who's an English theologian back in the 1980s, turned that in its head and said, actually, social action is a great tool for evangelism. Because if you get out there and you embody the gospel, and you let people see it and experience it, quite often that actually leads to evangelism. And that's what we see. That was my experience back in the street pastor days, and it's the experience of this. Uh, now social action leads to evangelism. What does the training look like? Because it sounds like you're, you're saying you don't have to go to seminary, you don't have to be a clergy, I guess proper clergy, whatever. So what does it take to, in your mind, how much training is necessary or what, what does equipping look like? Uh, so we ask that everybody's at least 18 years old. They have to have been a full member of whatever local church they're a member of um, for at least 12 months. And they have to come with a recommendation of their minister or their pastor or their priest. Um, so we're asking, um, firstly, that this is an expression of local church. It's not an alternative to church. So the chaplain actually has one foot in their own congregation and one foot in the chaplaincy. And therefore, in terms of their development and looking after them, that is their own pastor or minister and me. We're both working with them. And in that context, the first test is actually zero, 
Does any Roman minister actually think they're chaplain material? That's test number one. If they come with that recommendation, then the training looks like um, six weeks, um, one session per week of Bible studies, which the British Methodist Church developed, a course called Chaplaincy Everywhere, which really explores the theology of chaplaincy and the ethos of this is not a one-off encounter. You know, I want to talk to you about Jesus and we're never going to see each other again. This is actually, I want to get into a relationship where we actually have a long-term relationship and I want to build trust with you and I want to build relationship with you um, and I want to be Jesus to you. Um, I want to be his hands and feet to you um, over time and in that relationship. Uh, I hope we can look at you holistically. You know, so back to this whole Hebraic idea that we don't divide up the body from the spirit, from the soul, from the, you know, it's the whole person and ministering to the whole person. So we think this through over the six weeks of chaplaincy everywhere. And then the second half of the course, which is a further six sessions, goes into practical skills around uh, active listening skills, uh, drug and alcohol awareness, because you're going to come across that in the street. What makes, an, what makes a pastoral encounter Christian? Because the humanists are now offering chaplains. Mm. So what actually makes a pastoral encounter Christian? We do some thinking around that. We have mental health first aid training. Mm. Um, but 12 sessions of three hours each is it before they go in the street. And after that, it's actually more a discipleship model. Mm. So um, I'm spending time in these early days with five, five volunteers so far. I'm dividing my time up to actually spend time with them and actually help them on the street. It's like sort of, it is a discipleship model, you know? You follow, I do, you watch. On the job training. Yeah, yeah. you try, I watch you. We go back and we have a cup of coffee and we talk about it. Yeah. Um, and then I have been through ministerial training, so I have that bit more, bit more training to be doing that with them. But it's so empowering. I mean, it's it's... And you're and the the longevity of it. It's not just that you're saying I'm committed to you as a person longer than just one encounter, but I'm actually you have to commit to a place, right? You have to commit to a place or a people group or some kind of. I you have to be the chaplain of something, right? Yeah, well, that's right. So I'm some of out of the five we've had so far. Um, there's one phase a very particular calling to working with those who are homeless on the streets. Mm -hmm. And that's great. So if that's where the call is, then we will help that person develop that ministry. We do want to get into, you know, particular businesses or shopping centres and place chaplains there. That would be their place. So, you know, you might be the chaplain to Victoria Square Shopping Centre and that is your place and you build up those relationships. Sounds great. I've never been there. So. It's a lovely Sign place. Me up. Sign me up. It's a lovely place. <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine. Well, this, this is this is just brilliant. So, uh, I don't know anything else I would need to know, or anything else that you think is maybe significant about this idea, or it's. I think it's, there's two. Just a couple of other quick thoughts. Yeah. One, we plan to start alpha courses, so that's more intentionally about sharing the Christian faith. So we'll run that, you know, one night a week, um, at sort of half five, six o'clock, as people are getting out of work, and you know, don't go home and have your meal come and eat with us and actually follow the Alpha course and learn something about the Christian faith. We want to get that started. We want to create a Sunday morning community aimed at people who are not ready for church. Mm. Now, 
on Sundays, um, the shops open here now at half twelve. Legislation prohibits stores over a certain size opening until half twelve on a Sunday. So if we can create an opportunity maybe from, say, half ten to half twelve on a Sunday morning around brunch, and, you know, the hot dogs are on and the bacon baps are on or whatever's on, and we'll create some community with a very light-touch Christian message, you know, almost like your thought for the week before you go to work. But gathering people who will not go to church yet, um, we want to think about that. And the third thought is that the chaplains themselves are a community. They are a learning community of disciples. So I'm currently thinking through what that looks like. How do I actually build community in the chaplaincy team um, where they are discipled long-term and in a holistic way? Because they may not necessarily have that in their their home church or they're going to need some additional resourcing. There's going to be a spread. the spread of you know we're coming from different traditions for a start so yeah. and some traditions will emphasize evangelism some will emphasize the, the social action stuff some of them are coming from very sacramental traditions well you know we're the first catholic chaplain where fo- clearly the focus normally in church life is more sacramental so how do i take that mix of folks and cr- intentionally create a learning community of disciples just thinking that through. It's well, of course, you use the word deacon too, which is, you know, the word means servant. Um, and it feels like that's the power of it, isn't it? That you're 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 placing people with a servant's heart in places where people are going to have need. They're going to need love, need support, need a friend, whatever. Yeah. It's kind of simple. At one level, isn't it? Like the the ministry itself, um, maybe anyone can do it, and any committed person could do it. I think any anybody who is in a position of being able to say with all their heart, "Jesus Christ is Lord," could do this. Yeah, mm-hmm. because ultimately the Holy Spirit has to do the work. Mm-hmm. So I was sitting with a guy last week. Um, I think it's probably, most likely in the current context, it was probably her when they had taken. He was completely out of it, absolutely incapable of any communication with him. And I'm sitting with my arm around him. And I got up after half an hour with him. In human eyes, nothing happened apart from I sat with my arm around a bloke who probably didn't even know I was there. In spiritual terms, I prayed for minutes for that guy and absolutely totally believe God did something so as long as as long as I understand and believe that the Holy Spirit's doing the work yeah come and join us thanks Andrew that's it awesome you've been listening to Mission Disco a podcast by Praxis Movement you can find us on Facebook Instagram and Twitter at Praxis Movement Subscribe, like or download this podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud or online at praxismovement.com.